Hey family, welcome to We All Need Each Other, the podcast from Transformation Ministry. Let me tell you some facts. Each one of us has unique ways of thinking, gifts, talents, and experiences. Each one of us was made in the image of God. Although those things are very real and very true, it is also true that we reflect the image of God very differently. When we come together with our differences and our uniqueness, we can help each other. We can help each other understand different perspectives and broaden our own perspectives. We can help each other grow and learn and understand the beauty of God and also the complexity of this world. That's why we wanted to bring you this podcast. In this podcast, we're gonna get real. We're gonna bring in guests that talk about things like faith, race, politics, relationships, ministry, and justice. With all that being said, I just want to say thank you for being here. And thank you for joining us on We All Need Each Other. Guys, I'm really excited about this conversation. I'm glad that everybody's here. I'm glad Aaron's here for the first episode. And uh, Corey and Jonathan, thanks so much for making the time to be here. Um, We're going to talk about um, basically, we're going to talk about the podcast. Um, we're going to talk about why we all need each other. And uh, Jonathan, I don't know if you know this or not, but your book, uh, Church Forsaken, is part of the inspiration for this podcast. So I'm going to read a, a short quote, and then we'll get into it. So on page 136, you said, the more kinds of people we include, even those we don't understand or struggle to agree with, the more complete our understanding of God becomes. Understanding people's stories gives us access to parts of God that we may not have seen without their presence. And that really captures like why we do this. Um, We're trying to get as many different perspectives and voices and opinions on here as possible. Talk about a variety of topics so that we can all um, understand uh, God and the world around us better. So thank you for that book. And thank you for that quote. That is is such an inspiration. And uh, Aaron, why don't you take it away from here? Yeah, so um, kind of as we kick off the conversation today, if both of you could just kind of tell us a little bit more about what you do, um, kind of introduce yourself to maybe some of the listeners who, who aren't familiar with, with your work, um, and then just talk a little bit about like, what are some things right now that are really fascinating you? Like what's capturing your attention today? Um, you know, what, what are kind of some of the things that you're interested in? So Jonathan, why don't we start off with you? Sure. <clears throat> so... Jonathan Brooks from Chicago, Illinois. Um, currently the pastor of Canaan Community Church here on the south side in Inglewood. Um, Going to be making a transition to the west side of Chicago real soon to be the new pastor at Lawndale Community Church um, within the next few months. Um, doing the exact same work, living the exact same type of life that I've been living for the last 20 years. Um, so I've uh, been pastoring here in Inglewood, which is a neighborhood I grew up in. Um, as the pastor of Canaan. Um, and uh, that means a lot more to me than just uh, guiding or leading my congregation. Um, for me, that means that uh, the embodiment of what it means to be a, a Christ follower is to be someone who loves the place where God has put you intently and the people who reside there as well. And so that's the way I operate as a pastor in the sense that um, my my idea of what it looks like for ministry to be flourishing is for the the people and the place that it's that it serves with uh to be flourishing as well and so um the kind of work i do is you know um not just preaching and teaching and all the different things i do in within my congregation but also being intimately involved in anything that's going on in the neighborhood um holistically whether that be you know dealing with political officials, make sure you're part of community organizations, any kind of resident-led initiatives that are happening, local not-for-profits and youth centers and all those different things, like just being a support, being a resource and being actively engaged with them um, in any way possible, using our church hopefully as a resource there. Um, I'm also an author, writer uh, and a speaker. And uh, uh, it's kind of weird to say that sometimes now because I didn't plan to do any of those things, but, for the last 
I'd say about seven or eight years have had a pretty um, profound voice just around neighborhood presence and and ways that uh, Christians could be more engaged in their communities and neighborhoods and in their cities. Um, that led to my book, Church Forsaken, um, that came out in late 2018, um, just as a tool and a resource and a community artifact of what God has done in our own neighborhood um, for people to have a little hope around what can happen when churches truly engage in neighborhoods that are often neglected um, in myriad of ways. Um, I'm a husband, my beautiful wife, Michelle, works in urban agriculture in the city and a father of two children, Jasmine and Jade, uh, two graduates this year, a high school and an eighth grade. Um, and uh, yeah, um, just a lover of everything that has to do with uh, seeing the kingdom of God and the will of God displayed on earth the way it is in heaven. So that's me. Anything that fascinates you, Jonathan? That was part of Oh yeah, part I forgot you told me that. What fascinates me. That's what Corey does for me. He throws me alley-oops so I can dunk him. Um, yeah, what's fascinating me right now, you know, and, and it's, it's a weird fascination, but uh, I'm fascinated by the trend in our culture right now towards racial justice. And I'm calling it a trend just because there have been people yelling from the rooftops around um, racial inequities in this country, the, the issues with white supremacy, all that stuff forever. Mm-hmm. And... Um, for whatever reason, during the pandemic, all eyes on all of the things that happened between Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, you know, all the different ones. That, um, it's interesting to watch uh, this trend. And, uh, and I heard a, a phrase in a meeting I was in earlier this week that really kind of piqued my interest. And a uh, um, lady on the conversation said that I think that churches are often so enamored by the first reformation um, especially more reformed, theologically minded folks, that they're missing the reformation that's happening right now. Right. And I was like, ooh, that's kind of tight. Um, and so I've been fascinated to kind of see like this, this, this time that we're in now where, um, you know, even with just the recent things that have happened in, um, um, in, our, in our country around violence towards the Asian American community, it's like, it's like this thing just keeps growing and swelling. And so just keeping my ear to the ground, um, trying to see ways that, um, you know, I can amplify other people's voices or, or get the attention of people who may be having questions on this time. Because I'm starting to agree that maybe it's not just a moment in time, but we might actually be seeing a real reformation happening in, in the church. So it's exciting. That's fascinating. Too. Thanks. Um, yeah. My name's Corey. Thanks for Ali opening me, Jonathan. Uh, my name is Corey. I work at Transformation here with Dan, actually, so I feel honored that I'm a part of this podcast. Thanks for inviting me, Dan. Um, so I love the work that we do here in South Bend with youth and families and just trying to um, build connections, build relationships that, that transform both ourselves and our neighbors. So I live just a couple of blocks away from our center here, and um, I feel humbled to be a part of this community and the way that Communities embrace my wife and I, and now my three daughters, um, soon to be a, another one coming soon. Um, it's been it's been humbling to see that, um, which leads me to probably more important. I should have started with this. I have a wife that's that, that started transformation with me. She's incredible. Uh, she's the heartbeat behind all of this. And um, I have three daughters: an eight-year-old, five-year-old, and a two-year-old, and one little boy on the way coming in a couple months. So we're excited about that and uh, humbled to to have another one to disciple and love on um, in this crazy world. What fascinates me- What's Fascinating you, Corey, anything fascinating? <laughs> yes, thank you for the alley-oop. Um, I'm fascinated by, I guess, two quick things. One is how divisive Christians can be. And like we've seen this before, but 2020 um, just highlighted that. And it's fascinating how difficult it is for someone who claims the name, the, the, the name Christianity um, can be so uh, against one another and, and just, just ripping each other apart um, in, in both, both aggressive and passive-aggressive ways. Um, I'm also just recently fascinated by how resilient people can be, um, how people can go through so much uh, difficulty and pain, and how the human body just recovers and literally keeps the heart keeps beating the mind keeps moving forward and then God uses those people to just change the world. 
I'm, I'm blown away by that. Um, I, I have interactions with people that I'm just like, how do you keep not only waking up every day, but how do you also just love people the way you do and encourage people the way you do and continue to shine like your greatness inside of you to others. I'm blown away by that. So to me, thanks for, thanks for sharing that you guys, uh, Jonathan, I would love for you to share the story of your relationship with Corey. I don't know that dude. Um, <laughs> Short story. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about this, man. Like, so it's interesting. Um, I was, I told you over the last seven or eight years, it's kind of grown this idea of me kind of being a voice for place and presence. And I think Corey was bringing his, I guess it was just volunteers or like people who were coming to be a part of what you guys were doing the transformation into Chicago through a partnership he had uh, with Sunshine, right? When it was Sunshine, mm-hmm. it was Sunshine Gospel Ministries with Joe Havernick and those guys. And um, I've had a long-standing relationship with Sunshine um, since I was a youth pastor at Canaan because our youth would all kind of work together. We actually had like a, a group of Friday night, youth nights that we would do every week. One was, uh, uh, what was that called? Fat Friday. And then they had Focus Friday and that church had Freestyle Friday. And we would try to have our kids in different churches every Friday night. And so I've had a long-standing relationship with them. And since I became pastor of Canaan, we just done a lot of partnership stuff together neighborhoods border one another and just trying to work together. So Joel would bring um, these teams that would come in with the, with bridge builders, right? This, this, uh, as, a, as the name signifies, this, this visit that's supposed to be a bridge between um, folks from other neighborhoods, from suburban areas, you know, who other cities who uh, just wanted to see what was going on in Chicago. So Corey came down with, uh, with folks and, and, and visited, uh, y'all came to Canaan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I thought, okay. Sometimes I go to Sunshine, but they came to Canaan. And, um, <clears throat> For some reason, man, this dude just kept bugging me. Like it was weird, right? Like <laughs> I was, you know, talking to them for a minute, you know, and my daughters were, this was so long ago, my daughters were like super little. Like I remember like him putting like one of my daughters on his shoulders, right? Like, and I got a senior and a eighth grader. So this we've known each other for a minute now. And um, what I love though about this interaction was Corey was not one of those people that were, that were like, ask questions that were simple. He wouldn't come and just say, you know, the question you always get is, well, what, as a, as a white person doing this work, working, what can I do, right? Like, that's the question I would always get. But Corey's questions were like, look, I'm working with this many kids. I got this going on. Uh, somebody just got a, arrested for this, or uh, they've been like having issues with their family in this scenario. And but we working with the kid, but there's a rift between it. I'm like, oh, he deep into like <laughs> relational life with these kids and deep into what's going on in the community. He's not just asking fluff questions. So it piqued my interest. And I, and, uh, and I made the mistake that day of saying, man, here's my number, man. If you ever got like any questions or thoughts or concerns, <laughs> hit me up, man. Well, you know, this is, <laughs> you know, it seemed like you really invested in, in what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, that began a relationship that's been pretty amazing. Like it has been, and it, and here's the number one thing. It has been probably one of the most mutually beneficial relationships that I have in my life um, as it pertains to doing this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Because Corey not only would like call me and ask questions and take my insight, um, he would trust me when I would tell him to do things that probably anybody else in his life would tell him to do the opposite, right? Like there were times I was giving him advice that I know that he was like, I cannot believe this dude just told me to do that. And yet he would call me like, I did it and we'll see what happens, you know? And, and it, it, um, it was life giving to me who, as a person who's in a lot of relationships, uh, especially with white males doing this kind of work who say they value your voice and your opinion and all that, but when it comes down to you asking them to do something that might be uncomfortable or different than what they would do, they're typically just like, oh, okay. And then just move on and do whatever they're gonna do. Um, for Corey to really step out and trust, you know, the, the wisdom I had just from living life um, was pretty powerful. And then he started inviting me to be a part of his work, which was to me is what's really been powerful and what I think has made us go from just like, you know, folks doing work together to just friends. And he invited me out to come speak at 
Bethel College and like what I loved about it was he did that based off of his own reputation and like they didn't know who I was for real. He was like, hey, I got this guy. You need to hear his voice. And um, and now like I can't stop them from calling me, right? Like Bethel wants me all the time, <laughs> which is wonderful. But it it wasn't based off of them knowing who I was or seeing any work I had done. It was based off of his recommendation and trusting me. And that's that those type of relationships are rare. And so now I've tried to do the same for him, man. I've tried to to speak into what he's doing, to be a person that I would trust. Like when when people ask me who's doing good work anywhere near me, like his name's gonna come up, transformation ministry's gonna come up. I'm pointing people towards the work they're doing because I believe it's a model um, of what it looks like to be in, a person of integrity, to deal with the difficult situations and not run from them, um, to make hard decisions that a lot of people are afraid to make. Uh, based off relationship, not just off of what we think is righteous or right. Um, and so I'm appreciative of it, you know, and now I stay in this house, you know, love his kids like they are my own, can't wait for every time they send a picture of them kids because they're getting older and older and older. And, um, you know, we've, you know, just, just grown, our families love each other and I'm just appreciative of the friendship. And uh, yeah, that's all I got now. I can go on forever about this dude, but yeah, it was, <laughs> it's, it's been a great, great journey as we uh, grown together. Hey, thanks, man. If I could add in too. Yeah. I remember I was the, I did pastor you. You, the first time I met you, you spoke about the Good Samaritan at your church at Canaan on this trip. And I was just blown away by how you spoke about it. It was like the most unique way of speaking on that passage that everyone had been, that heard and I'd heard hundreds of times. And so I went up and talked to you. And before you knew it, I was dropping my college kids off at all these ministry sites and I was coming back and driving and finding you for the whole week. I was looking for you and you were gracious and letting me in. And, and that was a huge, I mean, it started a relationship where you've just shaped me tremendously. I mean, you read scripture in different ways and you have different mentors, but you're a mentor and a friend that's shaped how I view God and the world in tremendous ways. So thanks for that, man. Um, thanks for, thanks for coming and being a part of our world here. Thanks for letting me stay in your house. I know you've you've invited me many times to stay overnight at your house, which I haven't done yet because you really don't love me as much as I love him. But it's cool though. <laughs> so I got to catch up with you on that. But hey, just wanted to add to that, man. You've been you've been awesome to 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 be in friendship with the last ten or plus I years. Forgot about that. I don't talk much about the Good Samaritan parents uh, passage like I used to, but yeah, I used to blow people's mind with that one. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I just wanted to pause right here and say thank you. Thank you for joining us and being here with us on the We All Need Each Other podcast. If you want to support us, please don't hesitate to stop by our website, www.transformation58.com slash give. Thanks. We all need each other. So Jonathan, as we, as we talk about the, the quote that I read at the beginning, you know, inviting more people of different kinds of people in uh, to, your, to your sphere, to your, um, your circle and, and learning and growing from them. Um, that's easy to say, but uh, it can get messy at times. And so what do we do like when it, when it gets difficult um, and, and maybe, maybe share some examples of, of times when it's been you question is it, if it's really worth it, um, and just just how do you get through those those difficult Absolutely. times? Absolutely. Well, first of all, like you got to recognize, like that statement for me is a value. You know, it's like mm -hmm. it has to become something that I can't move away from, um, even when it gets messy. And you know, one of the things Corey will tell you about me is, is like I don't run away from messy situations. Like when it's messy, it's messy. I think that's more a reality of what the world actually is than when we try to make it this cookie cutter, perfect little, here's the right, here's wrong. Mm -hmm. I think Jesus shows us that a lot uh, in scripture. Um, but you're right, it is very difficult to just invite people from different thought, different backgrounds, different ways of thinking um, into your life. And I'll tell you, it's actually much easier outside of the church for me to do that than mm -hmm. it is dealing with church folks, to be honest. Um, because I, I have an expectation that people are going to think differently, have different backgrounds, different realities, all of that, when I'm just in my neighborhood. I don't expect everybody to have my same thought process or um, upbringing. But as Corey stated before, the church is so polarized. Um, 
that it can be extremely difficult to to allow people with um, very, very, very different, um, I'll say, first of all, theological bits uh, to into your sphere because not only it does it, it's not just about difference, it's about harm, right? They can cause mm-hmm. harm in your community, not understanding how some of their thoughts and ways of being actually are just detrimental to the way people need to live um, based on this context. But even still, what I've learned is, is that you still have to lean into that difference. Um, even if harm is possible, um, the best thing you can do, and this is something I hope that people really hear, is that Christians have got to stop believing that we can stop people from being harmed, right? Like, I don't even know where we got that mm-hmm. thought process from. Um, you know, our, our doggone focal point in Jesus shows, like, you can't stop people from being harmed. Like, Jesus was harmed. Mm-hmm. excruciatingly as we, as we right. sit here doing fashion week right like right. um you can't stop it the most you can do is try to mitigate harm as much as possible through your care not only for the person that you're bringing into your networks or into your space but for the care for the people who are already there by letting them know hey this person that comes in they, they come from a different context different way of thinking they may say some things do some things that that don't make any sense that you like this is crazy just know they love the Lord, they love you, and they just trying to figure it out, right? Like, I do that all the time. Whenever I would tell Joe, like, you bringing some more bridge building people, okay, hold on, let me get my congregation ready, right? Like, I would tell them. <clears throat> These folks come from a different space. Um, I mean, an example of that, a really crazy one, right? Like, um, so with the bridge builders, it's, it's really good. And Corey and them will come different because they're only coming from South Bend. So it was a little bit different when they would come. You just like pack a van and they would come and everything was cool. But some of these folks would be coming on these like tour buses from like mm-hmm. North Carolina or somewhere like that. And they they would come with this, this uh, we're here now, you know, everything's gonna be all right attitude and get mm-hmm. off the bus. And so what I started doing when they would get off the buses, I would like, everybody get off, drop your sleeping bags and your whatever, just drop them on the ground. Don't even come no closer because the number one thing is you can't come here and do anything you're not already doing at home. That'll be my thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so if you come in here and expecting to try something that you haven't tried out at home yet, you can get back on the bus and take your sleeping bag with you <laughs> because it, we already been working here. We're going to tell you what we need. You don't get to come, you know, so stuff like that. <clears throat> so what I would learn really quickly is that really paralyzed, especially young people, because they don't know what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like if, 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 if I'm not supposed to do anything I haven't already been doing, then what am I coming to do? Because I'll tell them like, if you haven't uh, been doing neighborhood cleanups uh, at home, or if your room is still a mess back home and you come in here to pick up trash in my neighborhood, you, you waste your time or you come in to paint faces of kids and jump rope here and you don't even like your little brother or sister back home, like don't, don't do it. And, um, and what it would do is it would lead the young people here and the leaders here to now become the leaders as far as uh, what could happen. Um, but then they would create these relationships <laughs> and get to know each other. And then some of the things that the kids would say or some of the things that the adults would say or even the things that they valued versus what my kids valued uh, caused actually some, some pretty rough conversations to happen. Um, I can remember having to sit down with the staff of Sunshine one summer just to say, please don't bring, um, please don't bring folks here who uh, who are going to value stuff over people, because um, they started uh, accusing our, our our folks of stealing things and uh, you know all that good stuff. You know, phones were coming up missing or things of that nature. And the first thing I would say is, you know, so stuff like that. <clears throat> um, and I just I learned really quickly. I was like, man. You want you want to be a bridge. You want different people together. You want different, um, but there's one thing that we don't often consider when you start bringing people together. And this is what I've been working on forever: the power dynamics that are engaged when people from different contexts come together. And so um, I really began to say, okay, the power dynamics have to shift. It's not just about us getting together. Um, if we're going to get together, the people who are typically on the bottom, typically marginalized, usually looked at as those who are service recipients, need to be flipped to be the service providers here. Um, 
and need to be the ones who are looked at as uh, those with the most wisdom, the most knowledge, the most power. Um, sometimes that's hard for folks to to mm-hmm. <laughs> to understand and even especially to 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 experience. So that's my number one thing is making sure the power dynamics are even, and those are. It's really hard. It's just really hard. You know, there's so many different ways, gender, race, right? Like you can go down the line of ways that people are othered. So yeah. Yeah, that's good. So um I'd I'd like you both to speak to this next question, but I want to set it up a little bit first because you know, I'm someone who has grown up and and you know, a lot of my church upbring upbringing especially was in very white, very conservative spaces, right? And one of the things I've noticed um, about that sort of dynamic is that a lot of times there can be this thought of, well, I have the right way to interpret scripture, right? Like I've got, I am certain that, that my way of looking at Christianity is the right one. And then when you start to try to bring in other views, there can be some harsh pushback to that. And I'd be interested in hearing from both of you, you know, your experience of building community, like what do we do about that? What, what do we do about that mindset of like really not wanting to bring in more perspectives because we feel like we already have the right one? I'll go first and then I'll alley-oop Jay on this. There you go. <laughs> um, I mean, I just, this, it's very, my, my answer is very simple when you're talking with people who look different, act different, think different than you, believe different than you is this, this idea of humility is, is absolutely mm. essential to that. You know, you read Philippians 2, and, and the way that Jesus demonstrated that to us is crucial. So humility in practice looks like listening before trying to get your point across and really seeking to understand what, where they might be coming from, um, choosing to believe people just because they're saying it and it's their story. And so, and just and not, not trying to, to think that we have to play God and defend him, um, that people can believe different things and we can sit in that. Um, we can have enough humility to know that if, if I'm sitting with a group of people who, who disagree theologically than me, uh, doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I agree with all of them and others are going to misunderstand that outside looking in. That's a, that's a very common thing. If you have dinner with someone or you meet with someone or speak with someone, then they assume that you agree with everything they do and it, it freaks people out, especially from the more white conservative world. Mm-hmm. The, the second thing I thought of was actually a quote that Dan just hung up in our office. It's by this guy named Jonathan Brooks. And it says, the more kinds of people we include, the more complete our understanding of, of, of God becomes. And I just think it's hard for us to like, if we grow up in a predominantly homogenous group of people, it's hard for us to listen to a podcast or read a book or watch something, a documentary or something and, and disagree well, it's, it's a lot easier when you actually build relationships with people that are very different. And so I feel blessed and honored in, in this community to be able to do that very easily. But I think some of us have to seek that out more. And those relationships are crucial because the more different, different relationships we have, different stories, different ways people are, are reading scripture. There's a book called Reading While Black that I think is huge and, and for me to see how people that have been historically oppressed or minority groups, especially black people are reading scripture. It's like, wow, I never read scripture that way. And that's incredible. And now I have people like Jay in my life and others so I can be in dialogue with that. And the more I build relationships with them, that, and, and Jay and I have different theology on different things, different viewpoints on different things. We, th- we see things politically different. But it's just he's shaped how I view God in incredible ways, much like many others who, who just see things differently. So yeah. the humility and then those, those real genuine relationships with people who are different have, have been crucial in, in my understanding of who God is. That's my alley-oop. Thanks. Yeah, like, he's exactly right. Humility is number one, right? Like, because even the idea that you have the right perspective Mm. makes me laugh right like what (laughs) who who are you and who am I right like to have the right perspective that doesn't even make any sense Um, and most people would not agree with that even if they still believe it so here's here's what I've I've tried to help people see through my viewing of scripture is I no longer um, read scripture 
only through a like a prescriptive lens. Like I don't, I, I can no longer only read scripture through, okay, there's something that this is supposed to be telling me. Mm-hmm. Let me find that in my passage, right? Because then you're no longer letting scripture speak for itself. So what I've been able to do now is to say, okay, if I just read this and I put on the lenses of a second temple period Jew, right? Like following this Jesus dude who's claiming to be God what would I really be hearing him saying about the scriptures that I've studied my whole life and had to memorize? Um, I, he, I would really be literally hearing him translate passages that I already knew what they meant in a different way. That's exactly what Jesus does his entire time that he's walking the earth, mm-hmm. right? They're like, well, what about this? And he's like, well, it could mean this, you know? Well, your, your disciples are doing stuff on the Sabbath. He's like, well, should we just let people die or like stay sick or not heal on the Sabbath? Or what do you think? Right? Like Jesus is like reinterpreting scripture, you know, and mm-hmm. reinterpreting uh, law in the context, you know, hey, you know, this coin has Caesar's face on it. You know, what should we do? Should we give our money, you know, to, you know, you know, yeah. Got Caesar face on to give it to Caesar, you know, what belong to God, give it to God. What does that mean in the context of what they be hearing, right? And so the more I've done that kind of like contextual work, the more I realize really Jesus is self, is showing us that the, the necessity of the context that you're in and the time you're in being what leads the way that you read scripture in the moment. Okay? And I know for a lot of people that's scary because they're like, oh my God, we can't, scripture never changes and, da, 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 and all that. And I'm going, the words on the page don't change, but the people who read it very much do. And the context in which they grew up in very much do. And so it's given me the freedom. I'll tell you the number one thing it's given me the freedom to realize that is this, is that um, if I don't hear or read scripture, from a lens that might be outside of my own or from a perspective that may not have been prescribed on me from seminary training and all that other stuff, then I'm no longer reading scripture. I'm actually reading the thoughts of a person who read scripture Mm -hmm. before me, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't want to regurgitate, like, I don't want to regurgitate the thoughts of another human being. That's not my, that's not what I signed up for. I regurgitate, I want to, the spirit to lead me into greater truth and, and understanding of scripture. And so even books like Reading While Black, like all they do is they remind you that majority of the scriptures, I don't even say majority, all of the scriptures are written by marginalized people, right? Like everybody's marginalized that's writing these things, whether it's the disciples running for their life, right? Or whether it's the uh, children of Israel, like on the bottom of the totem pole, mm-hmm. crying out to God, like, why are you forsaking us? What's going on? Um, and whenever you see people get some power, that's when they screw up. Over and over again, <laughs> the scripture show you, like, as long as they're on the bottom and struggling, they're like, oh, God, we need you. Da, da, da. And then as soon as they get some power, they're like, ah, God, we don't need you. We got this, you know? And so it should show us that, like, really where we want to be is, is where we need God, you know? Um, so I try my best, man, to, to do two things when I read scripture. Um, number one, I try to understand the context in which the, the passage would have been understood then, for real. Like, what would the people who heard it out of the, in the context of the writing of it, what would they have heard? And then I go, okay, now what does that have to say to the context we find ourselves in now? Mm-hmm. Right. So no longer am I regurgitating the words of somebody else who read scripture. I'm regurgitating the words of those who spoke scripture initially through the unction of the Holy Spirit. So um, that's what leads me to sometimes come to different conclusions, because then I don't feel like, you know, I'm eisegeting the passage and trying to put what's going on today in it. I can take what it was said originally and then apply that to what's going on today. And and I've just found that God never fails over and over and over again when you do that. Mm. I've I've noticed um, just recently since I since I first heard of Dr. Esau Macaulay and his book Reading While Black, I've been trying to find like podcasts that he's on and stuff. And he just gives this great example of like we all do this. We all read through a, a lens, and we can even switch our lenses because if I'm getting ready to 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 share a lesson with a youth group, uh, my interpretation of a passage is going to be different than if I'm getting ready to to share from that same passage with a group of uh, people in prison, mm. because I'm going to be thinking about what the different groups need to hear. 
I'm not putting anything different into the scripture. Yes. yes. I'm, I'm looking at it through different lenses. And I think mm. for the longest time, you know, I, the way I grew up, I grew up a lot like Aaron and Corey, just kind of a white um, suburban or rural, really conservative mm. settings. And, and it was just like the way we interpret scripture is the right way. Um, mm. Not knowing that we were doing that through our white conservative rural lens. Um, mm. And that, and that colors how we see scripture. So that's really good. So um, Jay, in your book, like you spend a lot of time kind of reframing what maybe a lot of us grew up thinking about Jeremiah 29. Yeah. Um, yeah. So can you just talk about that, the way sure. you frame it a bit? And then how, and then also how do people like us, Corey and Aaron and I, how do we cultivate the ability to, to, to see scripture through, different perspectives mm -hmm. yeah so um jeremiah 29 for me the reason why it became alive and breathing was because it wasn't a passage that i studied first and i tried to say that in the book pretty heavily right like i didn't i didn't sit down one day and say i want to do a bible study on the book of jeremiah and follow <laughs> like i didn't do that i was living life in my neighborhood in the way i thought that god was leading me you know being intent and being in a neighborhood that I thought all along I was going to run away from and wouldn't want to be here no more. Right? Like I spent my whole childhood trying to get away from it. And I spent my whole adulthood trying to get closer and more invested in it. Right. Like, and I just didn't understand what, what I was doing until I heard somebody read the passage. And for the first time when they read it, I saw myself, I was like, Oh shoot, that's exactly how I feel. Like they were reading about, um, you know, uh, Israel being like, commanded to be in exile, you know, based off of their own dis disobedience to God and like, you know, and that's how I felt. I'm like, man, I must have did something to God. God mad at me. He brought me back to Inglewood and told me I had to stay here. And, and I remember early on just saying like, God, what did I do? What did I do wrong? Right? Like, I thought I was moving on up. And um, so it, I was listening to this. I'm just like, whoa, that's exactly how I feel. And so I'm, I'm like on the edge of my seat at 29.4 when I get to it, because it's like, this is what the Lord Almighty says to the people who have sent in the exit. I'm like, what are you about to say? You know, because <laughs> in my opinion, I'm not like, no, I'm no longer listening to Israel's story. I'm like, okay, this is how I feel. This is like, I don't want to be an exile, but I feel like God's commanded me to be there. So now what's he going to say? He's going to say, you only get so, don't worry, everything's going to be cool, right? <laughs> and then the next line is like, you know, build houses and live in them. I was sitting in my seat like, oh, no. Like, I sat back like that, right? Plant gardens and eat what they produce. I was like, oh, no. And then it said, and marry and have sons and daughters. And I was like, yeah, oh, no, come on, man. Like, I, I was getting mad. And so that led me to go like read the passage again um, and like, no, this can't be what this is saying. Um, exile is bad. Like they didn't want to be exile. I was so confused. Um, but verse seven saved my life because it was my first time ever really hearing or understanding what God was doing with Israel in that passage. And it was, it was, it was God saying, seek the peace of welfare in the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And that that's when it was like, like the light bulb went off in my head. It was like, oh, God doesn't, God, it's not a punishment, like for real, for real. Like, sure, like Israel did some disobedient stuff and all the good things, you know, but God is still gracious because he's saying like, you do what I ask you to do here and I'll make sure mm -hmm. to take care of you. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it was just like, oh, so you don't have to like, you don't have to be in Jerusalem. Like you don't have to be where you consider it comfortable and safe for everything to work out. God's saying, wherever you are, I got you. And so as I kept reading, then it just really got good to me because it started talking about in those verses following like all the prophets and diviners telling them, hey, God don't want you to stay long. This is not his will. Don't worry, we'll be back to Jerusalem in no time. You know, like, <laughs> and I was like, that's what everybody's saying. Don't worry about <laughs> it. You know, you got a college degree. You'll get it. Everything will be fine. You'll get your big house and nice job and you'll be able to move away. And I was like, well, maybe y'all the Maybe all the diviners that, that Jeremiah is like, nah, I don't listen to them. It's not true. Um, and so verse 11, like, it just, it just opened up the world because 
once I realized that verse 11 was, you know, promising that God wanted what was best for me, that God was promising a future and a hope while I was in exile. Mm. Um, it was like, oh, wait a minute. The, the blessing of God is contingent on obedience to God in the place that you may not choose, right? Like in this place of uncomfortability. That's why God has to remind us that my plans for you are not to harm you. It may feel like that. It may look like that sometimes, right? Like when it's confusing, but now ultimately it's a future with a hope. So that's why you're building a house and living here. That's why you're planning God. That's why you're seeking a piece of welfare, having children. And it was just like, boom, man, that thing, that thing was not about Israel no more. Like I was thankful for God right to Israel because it was like, that was for me. Yeah. It was like, oh my God. Like this is the Bible like was something new. It was like, whoa, God can speak directly to you um, without anybody else having to do a commentary on it without like, like, like God spoke directly to me through me understanding like exactly what he was saying to Israel at the time. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but if you're loving this episode and you want to access any past episodes or show notes or more content, visit our website, www.transformation58.com slash podcast. Okay, get back to the show. And so what I say to people about cultivating those lenses is, is not to be afraid to put yourself in scripture. I remember telling Corey this. I'm like, man, have them kids erase them names and put their names in there. Like, have God really speak to them, right? Because a lot of us don't have anything to do with the Bible because we don't think it has anything to do with us. But once you start literally implanting yourself into the stories, because now my theology is, is that, you know, while we hollering about the canon being closed, right? Like I have a very different understanding of scripture now, right? Like we are still writing the Bible. Right. If you ask me, uh, Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail could be right after Paul's. Right. Like <laughs> it is very much inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was very much current. It was written to a specific people at a specific time. Sounds just like all of Paul's letters to me. Um, and, and, and so the goal here is how do we see God still speaking to us? And yes, God is still using those 66 books that we have to do that. Right. But we are called now to be the interpreters of what God was saying to those people at that time, to say that to the people of this time in a way that's meaningful. So I remember I did a whole series of parables, just a quick story to kind of sum it up. Um, and uh, I had, at this time I was uh, a city director for an organization called Mission Year. And so there's a lot of uh, kids would move into the neighborhood, live here for a full year, they'd be part of our churches, working at different organizations in the, in the city. And one young lady was coming to our church and uh, I was doing a parable, a whole thing on parables for the whole year, but I was calling them subversive parables. So it was parables where I was just reading a parable from a totally different perspective than it's probably ever been heard. <laughs> and she just could not, she was from Texas, had like more of a, like she just could not take it, right? Like, <laughs> I'll give you an example. Like by the time I got done talking about the parable of the talents, the one with the, the one parable, I mean, one talent uh, was the hero of the story, right? Like, <laughs> because he realized that he had a wicked master. If you ever read that parable, it starts off and a wicked master handed out mm -hmm. uh, talents, right? And, uh, and so the one is like, you're a wicked master. Why would I make you more money? I want to bury it and give you back what you had, you know? And uh, <laughs> it was messing her up so bad. Like she could not take it. And I just remember sitting in Bible study with her and I was saying, okay, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to stand on that side of the communion table. So we got a communion table sitting there with the in front of the lectern and all that. And I said, describe that communion table to me. And so she's describing what she sees and all that. And it says of me here. And it, it's a little scratch on the right side here, whatever. I'm like, okay, I'm going to describe the same table. And so it says, do this on my side. And there's no scratches here. Um, there is a chipped corner or whatever, you know, and, and I was trying to get her to see, are we describing the same table? And she was like, absolutely. And I was like, but from what? It's like from different sides of it. I was like, that's all I'm doing with this parable. 
is I am giving you a different perspective. I'm looking at it from a different starting point. I'm looking at it from a different space. And if somebody is, if you're in a country where you have a wicked leader that's Mm. leading your country right now, right? And they're telling you, I'm giving you these things in order to make more for me. And you know that making more does nothing more than marginalize more people. Who do you think God will look at as the hero? The person who makes the most for him or the person who says, I will no longer be a part of watching you uh, marginalize more people. So therefore I will bury this thing, (laughs) right? Like, and, she ended up leaving the program, like going back to that, this dude is heretic, you know, type deal, you know? And unless we can open our eyes and really recognize that context matters, yeah. right? That is not an erroneous reading of scripture. It is an empowering reading of scripture, depending on where the person who's hearing it is, where they live, the experiences they have. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to see the fullness of who God is and the fullness of who we are through scripture. So that's the damage we do when we say there's only one way yeah. uh, to look at scripture. We we limit who God is and who wants to do that? Hopefully nobody. <laughs> yeah, and I just think that, you know, that two-pronged approach you're talking about of like thinking through the original context, but then yeah, putting yourself in the words, that's so powerful to me. And it's not lost on me that we're recording this you know, the day before Good Friday, a day when, in my experience, you come into church and the thing everybody says to you is, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Yeah, right. <laughs> and if you put yourself in that moment, though, I don't think there would have mm-hmm. been a whole lot that felt good about that Friday, right? And nobody knew Sunday was coming. At the, exactly. That yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just think that's a, that's a totally different way of reading scripture than I think a lot of us have, have done in the past. And it's so transformative because yeah when i read church forsaken the way you handled jeremiah 29 that just reframed it in a totally new way for me i think that's powerful to think through that yeah you might you might be called to be in a long-term place where to other people or even to you at first it might not feel like the place you want to be but there's so much good that can happen there and uh yeah i just i think that's a great way to look at scripture um cory i got a question for you um just about your experience of kind of building up transformation. And obviously a a lot of people listening to this podcast will be familiar with the work that transformation is doing. I just think it's so interesting that, um, you know, a lot of times we feel like we have to go somewhere else to do something big for God's kingdom, right? Like that the, the, the work that needs to be done out our back door sometimes feel like, feels like it's a little bit less than, you know, what's happening everywhere else. And I know, you know, after college, you and Allison made the decision to really put roots down here in the South Bend area and really, um, you know, strive to build community here. What would you say to people, you know, especially I would say people listening to this podcast who are maybe in high school, in college, about looking for opportunities right out their back door to, to serve and to help grow God's kingdom? That's a good question. I, I, it, it definitely is glamorized a little bit um, in the space that I grew up to go overseas to do missions. Right. Um, but to go out through to your back door. I mean, you think about even Jesus, he was, it was the hardest being in his hometown. And so I think about Jonathan doing that. I'm, I'm still an hour away from my actual hometown, but that's tough stuff to go back to where you grew up and to minister and love and serve there. But we, we were just drawn to this area because it actually, what it did feel like another country in some ways to us. And so right or wrong, that's why we were drawn to South Bend. It, it had different culture, uh, different people. Um, there was uh, this different feel of hospitality, which we were drawn to kind of that front porch lifestyle, people out and about outside more rather than going into their driveways and, and their garages and, and not talking to one another. So that's what draws here. And since being here, I mean, we, we didn't think we were coming in from that, that top down approach of, of we are here to provide this to you, but it's inevitable in, in the space that I grew up in um, as a white male to not have that coming in. And so that's been a huge deconstruction process for me and it will be for the rest of my life. I mean, it's, it's just, it's ingrained in the DNA of, of who I am to kind of feel like I can bring you something that you don't have. And I have a perspective that's, that's, that's more efficient. It's better. 
um, and you need me in some way. And so that's been deconstructed. And, and Jay's helped me a lot with that. He's been very honest with me and, and just great and, and just kind of challenging certain thought processes. But um, so since being here, we just feel like we are here to, to, to learn and serve and be a part of an awesome community. And, and so there's things that we, since being here, we've kind of changed our mind on is, you know, one, we, we had to like kind of kill that savior complex in us early and literally kill it. And it's, and somehow, even after you kill it, it still resurrects somehow. And so um, that's what we do kind of daily. Some people call that dying to self. Um, and then also just um, trying to see how God's been at work here way before Corey and Allie ever got here. Right. And God has been at work in South Bend way before we've, we've ever been around. And South Bend's over 150 years old. And there's been a lot of amazing impact that, that God has used people uh, both marginalized and people in more powerful positions. Um, but th th those are just things, kind of lessons that we've learned. And so we, we approach this in a way that's completely different than when we moved in here 12 years ago. And so I guess what I would say to people that are looking to, to maybe do some move into an area that's, that's kind of next door to where they grew up or back home is, is going with a humble posture to, to see, you know, how has God been at work before you? And how can you be a part of the work that's happening there? And uh, just seek to learn, seek to, to not come in with programs and policies and procedures that you think are the best, but seek to learn from the people that are there and, and the assets that they have and the, the voices that they have. And so um, that's, that's, that's kind of what we try to do every day here is yeah. we, call it, we call it often, Pastor Dave was mentioning this even in our relationship, but just mutual transformation, two-way giving. Um, we, we both need each other. And we need perspectives, we need insights. And so even as we start a new program here, it's, it's, out, of, it's out of what our neighbors are saying is a need and, and what, what we want. So I think of, when I think of mutual transformation, actually Pastor Jay challenged me on this. We, for Christmas every year, you think people need presents. So year one, you know, we're delivering presents to people. And all of a sudden realizing, man, why aren't these parents talking to us anymore? You know, we just brought them presents. So we quickly realized, you know, this is actually stripping away dignity. Like it's very harmful. Like it's extremely harmful, nearly traumatic for parents to receive gifts from, from us in that way. So we're like, let's create a store that would actually kind of copycat it from sunshine where we basically get brand new good stuff. And then the parents come and shop, shop for it at like 90% off. So it's, it's essentially almost free, but they're still spending their own money to buy it. And Jay then kind of said, well, why don't you shop at that store? And I was like, kind of like, no, that's not, that's not for us. You know, it's just for the families. And he's like, why don't you shop the store? Do you need it? And I'm kind of like, actually, I could benefit from stuff 90% off. <laughs> and so, you know, we've done that a little bit. Like we've, 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 my daughters have gotten some stuff from the store and we've, something that was normally 10, we got for a dollar. And, and it's just, those are the ways that you just, we have to rid ourselves of this kind of top down uh, superior approach and just realize, man, we all, we all, we're all equal in, in so many ways. We need to look at each other that way. And we all have things to offer one another that, that are beautiful. So, so that's my long answer to whatever question you asked, Aaron. No, that was great. And Jonathan, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that too. Cause I know you talk in church forsaken a lot about your process of, of ministering to your community when, you know, at first, maybe it didn't feel like what yeah. you felt you were called to do. But I'd love to hear you too on that last point that Corey was just talking about of that top-down approach. I've heard you in, in you know, your writing and in some um, various spaces talk about how you feel about the word outreach. And I feel like there's a <laughs> similarity between there and, and what Corey's talking about. Can you kind of flesh that out for us a bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, hitting that story, I knew where Corey was going with that story. I was yeah. like, that's exactly what I tell everybody. Like, are you too good to shop at the store? It's just people <laughs> you work with, you know? Anyway, uh, like I always say, I, I used this language a little earlier in one of my questions is that, um, why do we believe that we can, you know, and, and the, in the form of ministry, like people who are ministering in a community or with a community, do we believe that we can only be service providers? Mm -hmm and never ever be service recipients, right? Like, and that is really the, the antidote to that savior mentality, top-down mentality is that you have to rid yourself of thinking you have solutions, other people have problems, 
right? And start recognizing that, no, actually we all have problems mm. and therefore we all can bring some solutions to the table. Mm. And that just completely changes the way you engage. That, um, that changes the, your approach to ministry and now it changes your, your view of the people you minister with. Notice I will never use serve or minister without the word with. The mm. power of with is extremely important. Um, and so when, when, when that becomes a reality now, words like outreach are actually antonyms to what you're trying to do, yeah. right? Because outreach assumes that you have something that someone else doesn't and you're going to provide it for them. That's why you're reaching out, right? And so one of the first things I did at Canaan when we really started to understand the, this, these models was I said, hey, y'all, we don't do outreach. We're done with that word. If somebody asks you what outreach y'all do, say that word is a curse word for us. We don't even say it. Um, the only word we use is community. Everything is community um, because everything is mutually beneficial. And uh, similar to, to Corey's story, we have a story where this really kind of started from a Thanksgiving event that we would do every year that we started off calling our Thanksgiving community outreach dinner and clothing giveaway, right? Like that's what it was. And we did it for five or six years uh, before I became pastor and it only took one year for me to be pastor for us to go, ah, ah never again, right? <laughs> um, so the event will come, we will cook dinner, right? Make food and then invite people from the community to come in and, and have dinner. And we would serve them, right? Here's your food, here's a place at the table. And then you can go upstairs when you're done eating and you can pick out some clothes and just take it with you, right? And so we thought, oh, it's so great. Like every year it was growing. One year we even had turkeys to give away. It was excellent. Um, but it wasn't really excellent because what we found was people would be arguing over clothing and like, taking stuff like you see men taking women's clothes you see people just grabbing whole hunks of stuff that and you know they're like what are you going to do with all of that right like but it was free so um this year when we had the turkeys was the the turning point we had all these turkeys we gave them away in the neighborhood got outside after cleaning up and all the good stuff praying thanking god for all that we've done <laughs> and then got outside and our neighbors was like hey got this turkey, man, you want a turkey? Five dollars, you know, selling it back to the church folks. Like they didn't even realize it's the same people they just got it from. And uh, in my church, I was so, oh, they so un ungrateful. Don't ask me to volunteer for this no more, Pastor Daisy. This is what I'm talking about. This is why I don't do nothing for these folks. Now, just a few minutes ago, we were, oh God, it's such an honor to serve. Mm -hmm. But now a few minutes later, because the service recipients did not respond to the service providers the way we thought they should, all of a sudden we, we shouldn't do this anymore. Mm. And uh, what I realized then was like, yo, actually this is pretty smart. Cause you know how many other churches out here doing giveaway, turkey giveaways and all other stuff. If they do have a Thanksgiving dinner, they got like four turkeys. Why don't they sell the turkeys and get some fixes to go with it? You know, like it just, it made me sit down with the congregation and ask a question. What was the real problem? What made us go from, thank you God for the opportunity to serve, to see, don't ask me to volunteer for this anymore, they so ungrateful. What, what was the disconnect? And the disconnect everybody realized was they didn't respond the way we thought they should. And that was the key. It was like, oh, so unless people respond to our serving the way that we think they should, we shouldn't serve them. And then I was like, nope. We no more serving, right? Like service has become a poison. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to accompany, we're going to be a part, you know? So the next year we had a potluck style thing where we asked people in our neighborhood, if you got a dish that you cook well, bring it on down, we're gonna all eat together. And then we turned it into a clothing store. Um, and uh, it, was a, it was a creative way of doing it. It was dang near free too. Cause what we say, anything that can fit in like a, a, a plastic shopping bag and you could tie the a bow in the top <laughs> and you could take it for a dollar, right? So if you see some of the tiniest bows, people <laughs> like, you got it, you got it, you know? Uh, but it was great because the next year was totally different. We were sitting at the tables with our neighbors because everybody was serving, right? Like. Mm -hmm. If you brought the dressing, you serve your own dressing and you bring, you know, and we're doing the family style at the tables and, and it was great. And we're getting to know each other and we're sitting and then we went upstairs, everybody's shopping, including Pastor Jay. Like we mm -hmm. all looking like somebody, oh, this blazer. They're like, Pastor Jay, what size you are? About 42. Hey, put this on. Tell me. Oh, that looks flat. You need that, Pastor. I'm like, ah, this is dope. <laughs> I just saw some shoes over there. You need to look at those. Those look, what size you wear? And we like helping each other out and people, you know, it was totally different. 
in one year to the next, uh, just because dignity had been restored through us recognizing that we don't always have to be the service providers, that being a service recipient actually makes us a community. And so now everything we do is community. We won't do anything as an outreach from our church. Nope, everybody's doing it together. Um, and it's changed and reframed the way we even think of ourselves in the community. Um, and that led to us changing our name from Canaan Missionary Baptist Church to Canaan Community Church, because what we said was all we are is a part of this community, period. And we want to reflect that in not only in our, our actions, but in our name and who we are at all times. So yeah, reframing little things like that can reframe not only your, your practice, um, but it'll reframe the way you look at um, the people that, that, that are around you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the number one thing, because once again, the power dynamic shift. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know for me that Indirectly, Jonathan, you have you have influenced me in a big way too because of your relationship with Corey and because of your book and um, Corey has been a huge influence on me as well. I remember when I first joined Transformation um, a little more than five years ago, some of the language I was kind of skeptical of just the whole the whole two way giving. I'm like, what are these kids going to give to me? Um, mm. Or and I didn't even know any of the families yet, and I'm like, what? Cause I, I was coming from that other perspective and, but I'll tell you um, there's, there's one mom who I, who I share the story of a lot. Like she has taught me so much about being a parent. Um, and I never would have expected this mom with her story and the experiences that she's been through to be able to give me parenting advice, but man, I've learned so much and my life is so much better because of her. Um, and so she's given me, probably way, way, way more than I've been able to give her. Um, but it, it is mutually beneficial. So I appreciate that frame that you, that you give us and uh, just the, the encouragement to, to think about the way we see people um, and see people the way Jesus sees the, them and not the way we've been trained or grown up seeing them. That's right. So um, just get, get rid of some of those categories that we grow up with for people. So I appreciate that. Does anybody else have anything they want to share before we before we wrap it up? I, I will say there's a little framework that I hope that people watching this can keep um, that that I usually share when I'm doing like a, a trainings for Christian community development philosophy. Um, and it a lot of times it depends on where you start in your understanding of your neighborhood. So if you start with everybody's deficits or their needs, what mm -hmm. people need, then there's a continuum you'll travel where you got needs. And then you're trying to meet needs and typically that leads to programs, right? Like they have a need, there's some deficit. So we need a program that's gonna fill that deficit. But when you use programs to fill needs, then all you create is dependency mm -hmm. from the people that you're serving, right? Because your program has now met the need. And if your program ever ceases, the need still remains. Mm -hmm. And so you're creating this sense of dependency. What, what people just need to hear from your story just now about their mom is if you start with assets, though, if you start what people bring to the table versus needs, then programs aren't the answer. People are the answers, right? Because the people have the assets. And now rather than dependency, now you're creating empowerment, right? Where now this mom becomes the solution to your parenting through her asset mm -hmm. of being a parent as well versus the need of you know, how do we feel this need? And so I just think reframing where we start um, takes you down a different continuum. So yeah, needs, programs, dependency, but if we can be assets, people, and empowerment. And I think that's the two uh, areas that, that we just need to reframe and it'll help a lot of people to start in a different place. I appreciate that. Corey, you got any, any last words of wisdom? <laughs> really good. I don't want to mess that up. That was a great, that'd be a great way to end it. So if you have to edit this, feel free. <laughs> but I would say, I, I'm going to, since, since Jay's here, um, there's a quote and I'm going to mess it up, but it was powerful for me. And I think he shared it actually at a conference he was speaking at, but it was something around the effect of, are you willing to, to go to a place and love and learn and be a part of a community when, when at the end of your time there, whether it's five years, 10 years, 25 years, that the only person who's changing is you. Mm. And I'm like, sheesh mm -hmm. i don't want to tell my donors that you know they'd be like you know i've been all this money for you to be here 20 years and you're it's all about you changing it but i'm kind of like 
but I think that's, that's powerful because I think that's what happens. And, mm-hmm. you know, someone asked me years ago, you know, how many, how many people, this was probably eight years ago, how many people got saved this year? And I said, two. And they said, what, just two? I'm like, that's good. I mean, that's good. You know, maybe more next year, you know? And they're like, you know, share me about the stories. And I was like, their names are Corey and Allie. <laughs> and he's like, you guys? And I'm like, yeah, we, we've been saved. We've been reached. And I think that's powerful. People can argue with that, but I think I'm grateful for, for, for that quote, for that realization, because we have to be willing, instead of trying to go play places to reach people, to change them, to save them, we have to be willing to say, no, how, how is actually God going to change me and reach me and save me through the people that I'm, I'm going to be with? Hmm. That, that, I think we're going to keep that part, Corey, because that's yeah, a good, that's way good. To, good way to wrap it up and reinforce the idea that, that we really do need each other. Because you came in thinking you were going to be the one that was giving and you're the one who received. Um, so that's a great picture of how y- you brought some good stuff to the neighborhood, but you also received a lot of good stuff from the neighborhood. So you guys, I appreciate you both. Aaron, thanks for being here. And this has been amazing. I know that it's going to be a blessing to the people that listen and watch. So um, thanks a lot, you guys.